Lord, thank you so much again for this morning, and we just want to seek you, God. We want to be here, Lord, for you. Nothing else. Our attention wants to be upon you. So just clear our minds, God, of the of what maybe what we're doing today or the week or what it was, what happened yesterday. But God, help us to just focus in on you and be like Mary sitting at your feet, just gazing up at you, just ready to hear you speak. So, Lord, as I always pray, I ask that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Uh, uh, Give us a mind to understand this passage, Lord, and a heart to receive everything that you want us to receive, that our lives may be transformed by the Word of God. So, Lord, anoint this time by your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day, I I went over to High Tech in Kahului, you know where... um, uh, 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 the kitchen was sadly it's gone but I went into that center and every time I drive by I kind of laugh because I don't know if you see the sign for the center there yeah the center is called triangle square right because the plot of land there's a triangle it's it's this shopping center and I guess you could call that a square but it's called a triangle square and I always kind of chuckle at that because that's what we call an oxymoron right a, a, a word uh, that has been made up of two words that contradict each other and make up a new meaning. And there's other oxymorons, as we know, like um, definitely possible. Or like, I'll give you an exact estimate. Or maybe sometimes you think, Pastor Rick, you know, you're clearly confused. Or I, I heard somebody say that, put it this way, I distinctly remember forgetting that. You know, so there's oxymorons out there. Like some say that good morning is an oxymoron too, right? Some of you guys aren't morning persons. And I saw a bumper sticker that said, I'm going to survive this even if it kills me. (laughs) In front of a church, there was actually a sign that said this, Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. I thought that was a good one. It must be a pretty bad prophecy class, which I question that anyway. But just putting those things together makes that oxymoron. Well, as we continue our study here in the book of First Peter, as we come into this last part of chapter 3, we find what, what seemed like defeat for Jesus, but it really was a win we find that his suffering actually brought victory over sin, death, and and the devil. And so our title for our message today is sort of an oxymoron, and it's the victorious suffering of Jesus. I mean, sometimes we think suffering, how do we find victory in that? You know, that's, 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 that's more like defeat. That's more like bad. It's pain. It's, it's hard. But what we're going to see is sort of this oxymoron, this victorious suffering of Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I mentioned we're going to be studying 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 18 through 22. And we're going to find four things in this section, in the passage we're looking at this morning. Number one, his suffering brings you to God. Number two, his suffering defeated the enemy. Number three, his suffering saves you from judgment. And number four, his suffering leads you to glory. And so that's our outline. That's really the points that we're going to see in our passage this morning. Now, 
Before we get into this, I want you to understand and, and remind you of the context of how what we've been seeing throughout this passage as we've been going through it. Now, remember that way back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, if you can look there, Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, right? Live, live the right life. Live a godly life. Why? Because when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that day of visitation, we studied that, it talks about that person coming to Christ. And they're going to glorify God saying, well, you know what? Even through all the suffering, even through the trials, and even through, remember, the persecution that the Christians, the readers of this book is going through, that they kept their godly conduct, that believers kept to following and being obedient to the Lord. And that was a witness in how they responded to the persecution. And so we saw that, right, in the rest of this chapter, staying submitted, even mistreated, whether the government, your bosses, your, your master, uh, according to, you know, back then, servants be subject to your masters, verse 18 and uh, First Peter chapter 2. Uh, we, we saw, if we remember uh, last time, last week in verse 9 of chapter 3, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, right? You're not to get back into the flesh or not to respond or react in that way, but respond in a godliness and in giving forgiveness, grace, and love as we talked about last week. And we saw back, if you can look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter writes here, for to this you've been called. To what? To live that godly life, even under the persecution, even being mistreated, even being attacked by our enemy, Satan, that we have been called because to live this life because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So Peter comes back around now to this section that we're going to be looking at this morning, and he comes back to show us this example that we are to follow in his steps. So we really get into Christ, his sacrifice, his suffering, everything that he went through for us. And so that's the first thing we're going to look at. Number one, the first thing that we find is his suffering brings you to God. His suffering brings you to God. And here we're going to just look at the first part of verse 18. Take a look with me. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It reads here, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And we'll stop right there. We begin with Peter writing here, the Apostle Peter, and he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Now, when he says for Christ also suffered, we're really connecting back to what we saw earlier. And we can just see that in verse 17. Remember last week we ended with this where he wrote, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We don't want to suffer for doing evil. That's consequences of our sin. But if we're going to suffer, let us suffer for doing good. That the world, who is so opposite in the principles that we follow, in the morals that we hold to, in how we follow God, even if we're doing good following God, they still come after us or they come after us for doing that, for holding to his principles, it's better to suffer in that way. Because if you suffer in that way, in verse 17, it, it, it would be God's will for you. And that means there's a plan, there's a purpose 
in all of this. So with that in mind, think of Christ, all that he went through. Yeah, he was, he was innocent. He, he was unjustly tried and murdered, right? Uh, uh, and so he also suffered once for our sins. He also went through this too. But there was a plan and a purpose in it all. So here Peter says Jesus suffered once for sins. And that speaks about his death on the cross, really, how he suffered and died on the cross. How when he suffered, when he died once, he didn't die twice, he died once. That's because he fully paid the penalty for our sins. So he doesn't have to do it again. He doesn't have to die again. It's unlike the Jewish sacrifices where they did that all the time. And they would always bring sacrifices. That the one sacrifice wouldn't last forever. Well, it wouldn't pay for everything. It had to be done over and over. But Jesus died once for our sins. If you remember on the cross, and I've taught this before, where there were seven sayings that Jesus spoke on the cross, right? And the second to last one in John chapter 19, verse 30, you know what? He was up on the cross, and he, with, with all that he could say, he said what? It is finished. What's finished? He paid the full penalty for our sins. He atoned for our sins. That's what he meant when he said it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. And it was used back then when the when when a, a, a invoice was paid in full, they would stamp that invoice to Telestai, paid in full. When a farmer finished plowing his whole land, yeah, and he was done, and he looked at the end of the day, and he said, Tetelestai. When when an artist finished their painting or their sculpture, and it was all pow, he'd say, Tetelestai. It's done. It's complete. It's all pow. It's done now. So just as a farmer's not going to go back plow again when it's all done, Jesus does not need to go back on the cross and die again. That's why he died once for sin. And then it says here in verse 18, the righteous for the unrighteous. Well, that speaks of Christ again. How Christ, who is sinless, who is righteous, gave himself for the unrighteous, for sinners. It really speaks about the substitutionary atonement. In other words, he substituted himself in place for us. He stepped and took that penalty that we should have received. He went in there. He was the substitute, you know, like in, in baseball or, or you know, you got the substitute goes in, the substitute hitter. He went in and he took that penalty, the wrath of God for our sins, he was the righteous who died and suffered, suffered and died for the unrighteous. He took our place. He died in my place. Jesus, as the saying goes, right, paid my debt yeah, that, that he did not owe because I owed a debt that I could not pay. The holy died for the unholy. The pure for the impure. The shepherd gave his life for the sheep. Jesus, he gave himself, he substituted himself for you and for me. That's Christ. I think about 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be made right before God, that we may be 
righteous, made righteous, so we can come before the Lord. And that's what Peter is talking about here. And why did he do all this? For Christ also suffered. He did good, but suffered for his good. He, he, he gave his life for us. He substituted for us. What, what, what was all that for? Well, I love this in verse 18, right in the middle, that he might, what, bring us to God. That's the plan. That's the purpose, you guys. We should be grateful. We should be like, wow, this is what Christ did for me. Sometimes we may hear, oh, Christ died on the cross for you. Oh, Christ loves you, and he, he died for you. And sometimes after a while, your, your mind's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that. But think about what he suffered. Think about what he went through so that he could bring you to God, so that his atonement would give us access to God, that we can have a close relationship, that, that you and I, well, we can go to heaven, that we could be made righteous. God did that. I mean, Jesus did that. Jesus, who is God, did that. And dying on the cross to bring us to God, to make that way. You know, I was thinking about when Jesus died on the cross. If you remember Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 51. Do you remember when Jesus died? The veil in the Jewish temple tore open. What was that talking about? Well, there was this huge curtain back in Herod's temple. They said that it was about 60 feet high, four inches thick, that separated the, the, the sanctuary, the inner part, to the holiest holies. And the holiest of holies, that inner room, was where the ark was kept and it represented where the presence of God is. And only one priest, once a year, who ritually went through a cleansing could go into that room on Yom Kippur, on that day. But what happened when Christ died? The, the curtain went from top to bottom, they say. Tore open and exposed was that inner room, that place that no one went, w w dare to go into, because God is so holy, and if you, like if a priest didn't uh, ritually cleanse himself of sin and be forgiven, he would die there because of the holiness of God. But because of what Christ did, he's able to bring us to God, and it opened that way. It opened that curtain. Can you imagine the priest working, you know, uh, ministering in the temple that day, and when Christ died, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, yeah, the curtain goes... And it's open. They can see in it. Can you imagine that? They're like, well, how'd this happen? There's no way. Four inches thick, they say, it, that curtain was. It's God who did that. Can, can you imagine what they're feeling? So you see why Jesus is the one who made the way. So the only way is through Jesus. So his suffering is what brings you to God. What he went through, his death, is what makes it possible for you to go to God, to know God. And we have to understand that we, we need to realize why it's only in Jesus Christ, why there's no other name in heaven that we can be saved, because it's Jesus who died once for our sins. It's Jesus who came and took upon himself, the righteous one, took upon our sins so that we would be made righteous. His suffering is what brings you to God. A caller made a comment on this radio show, and they said, I want to say how glad I am that Dalai Lama received the Nobel Peace Prize because he is God's representative on earth who brings men to God. Now, 
that's not true. It's all wrong. I mean, if you think about it, first of all, in Buddhism, right, there is no God. There is no deity. So how can you even say that, right? But secondly, Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So understand what Peter's putting out here. Here's, here's Jesus, right? He suffered to bring us to God. Well, let's bring it into this passage in this section we've been looking at here, right? Peter's saying, look, in the same way, there's a plan and purpose to your suffering, to the persecution that you may be going through, to the attack of the enemy that you're going through. You know what? It's so others can be brought to God. Keep that in mind because there's no other name in heaven. And so, of course, the enemy's going to fight hard, right? to keep people from coming to Christ. An enemy's going to fight hard and even attack you, persecute you to keep you from Christ, to keep you from bringing people to Christ. So understand there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And God may allow suffering and persecution attacks, but there's a, will, a plan, God's will. There's a purpose in it all, and it's to bring others to Christ. And you could say a second thing. We know that it can bring us closer to Christ too, right? So in understanding this, no wonder James said, hey, count it all joy when you go through various trials. Now, I don't like that verse because I'm not happy in trials. But I'm understanding more and more, all right, Lord, there's a plan. And you know what? If, if that's what you did to bring me to you, then God, perhaps I will persevere and endure so that whatever in your plan is, that someone else can be brought to Jesus Christ. Hold on to that. His suffering brings you to God. And so your suffering can bring others to God too. Well, we see a second thing here. His suffering defeated the enemy. His suffering defeated the enemy. Now, here we're going to cover from verse 18, the second part, to the first part of verse 20. So 18b to 28. Let's take a look at those verses right now. It says here, Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Now we're going to stop right there. I know I'm breaking these verses up, but I'm doing this on purpose to give you this thought, the idea, the point here, and help you understand the flow of this passage. Now, I have to say, this section we've just read together is a very difficult uh, section. It's hard to interpret here, and, and there's a lot of, of views, there's a, a lot of way of approaching this, and, and basically I'm going to give you what, what I, I believe and maybe a little bit of what some others think, but, but I want you to know that, that throughout my studies and going over this and all and talking to people, this, this is what I feel like what the passage is talking about. And basically, it's my heading, what I mentioned, is that his suffering, Jesus, suffering and death, defeated the enemy. And this, this is what Peter's trying to bring our minds to. So let's take a look at this. It says here, first of all, in verse 18 in the middle, being put to death in the flesh. Well, that's pretty easy to understand. Jesus physically died, right? When he died on the cross, he died physically. He really did die, no matter what some critics may think. He really did die when they poked him with the spear, the Roman soldier. Blood and water came out. 
he was really dead. He did not survive the crucifixion. But then it says here, after that in verse 18, but made alive in the spirit. Now, let me give you what I believe. I believe it basically Peter's saying that he went on in the spirit. Though his body died, he, he died physically, he was still there in the spirit. It wasn't like he was completely gone and that was it. No, he, he went on. That wasn't the end for him. He went on to live and he was in the spirit at this time. Now, what's difficult is that the word spirit here uh, in the original language in the Greek, you, you could take it either small s, like spirit, like Jesus' spirit, or you can make a big s on it and it, say it's the Holy Spirit. So some scholars, some pastors and commentators, they say, well, it's, Peter's really talking about his resurrection, uh, that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and that's what he's referring to. Um, so it could be, but others say, as this is what I believe, that the spirit here is a small s, and it's talking about Jesus' spirit, and it's that Jesus' spirit went on to see what we're going uh, to do, what we're going to see next. So again, in other words, Peter's saying, look, it wasn't the end. When he died, it wasn't the end. I mean, and I feel like he's saying before he bodily, physically rose from the dead on the, you know, the third day on Resurrection Sunday, that he did something. Now, it's interesting, the, the, the two words here in verse 18 at the end where it says, made alive, uh, in the original language, it, it means, uh, one of the meanings is germinate, like seed. And my mind goes with how Jesus led the way. He was the first, yeah? He was the first to, to physically rise from the dead. He, we follow him in, in resurrection, glorified bodies, and all that. And, and I feel like that, that's what Peter's trying to say, is that he was the first in his spirit to go on into this eternal life, to go on in his spirit. And, and there's also another very complicated thought, but I'll just throw it out to you, that perhaps it was made alive in the spiritual sense because he took upon his body our sins, right? Uh, Isaiah 53 talks about the Lord laid on him, yeah, our iniquity. So on the cross, he took upon our sins and he died for our sins. And then he was, remember when on one of the saints on the cross, he said, why, why have you forsaken me, right? Uh, that was the first time the father turned his back on the son and out of, you know, this trinity and, and out of, uh, you know, from eternity past. That was the first time because the father could not look upon the son with all our sin upon him, the holy father upon, uh, you know, God the son there. So um, it could be, and this is another deeper thought, that perhaps spiritually taking on all the sin, but now paying for our sin, that Jesus was reunited with the Father uh, after being separated and so made alive in the Spirit. So that, that's just a thought. That's a little like, it, for me, it kind of tweaked my brain a little bit. Maybe it is for you. And, and it, it still kind of is. And there's some other uh, paths that lead you down. But let's just say Jesus basically went on in the Spirit. He died, right, uh, uh, physically, but he went on in the Spirit spirit and i i feel like it really connects to what uh jesus said in luke twenty three forty six, which is 
the very last saying of Christ, number seven, he said, Father, into your hands I commit what? My spirit. And having this, he breathed his last. So it, he, he went on in the spirit. He went on uh, united with the Father. So think about this. He, he died physically. He went on in the spirit. And then it says in verse 19, in, we, in which he went, he went on, and what? Proclaimed to the spirits in prison. All right, what's that? Okay, proclaim means like to announce. You know, to, to make a statement, to herod, herald, herald, herald. I can't pronounce it, but you know what you're saying. Announce what I'm saying. So I think, he, what did he proclaim? That he died on the cross for all our sins. That salvation now is possible. That we can know God, that we can have a relationship, that we can have heaven because of what Christ did on dying on the cross. He, he, he proclaimed that. But But where? Well, it says here in verse 19, to the spirits in prison. Okay, what's the spirits? Well, most commentators believe that this is really speaking of fallen angels. The, the spiritual being, the fallen angels, demons. Yeah, And it says that they're in prison. Well, that's an indicator too. And it refers to these demons incarcerated by God um, and and that they did not well it it says here right that um uh verse 20 because they formerly did not obey obey what well during when well when god's patience waited in what the days of noah so there's a clue that these spirits this, the fallen angels they're in prison and when was that well there was during the days of noah now that brings us to genesis chapter Six, And there's some different views there, too. But it's believed that demons basically possessed humans to, to lie with women. And, and that created this whole dynamic in this whole world. Now, some believe that, well, it, it was more like demon influencing people. But we know for a fact in Genesis 6, 5, it says that the wickedness was great, that every intention of the heart and of the mind and thoughts were evil. It was like, like beyond, and that's why Genesis 6 is the introduction to when Noah built the ark and the flood came, and the flood was a flood of judgment. So I hope you follow me here in that. So it seems here, and this is what I feel, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, physically died, his spirit went on now to this prison where these demons real bad guys that wreaked havoc on the world way back in genesis 6 in the days of noah and he went and proclaimed that he had won salvation for the world and that's the idea here um, this whole thought about these demons and spirits in prison, turn over to, um, you can see a little glimpse or a little peek into that. Turn over to Jude, the letter, the book of Jude, we could say. And there's only really one chapter, so I want you to see verse 6 and 7. Jude, verse 6 and 7. It says here, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. 
And so that's the thought. Well, here's these angels, probably referring to Genesis 6, that they didn't keep their own position of authority. They went way beyond uh, 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 what was moral and what, what God allowed. They just, they just pushed it. And they ended up in eternal chains. And then look at verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in what? Sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by under going a punishment of eternal fire. So it seems verse 7 refers to what these demons had done. So, again, going back to First Peter chapter 3, what Jesus proclaimed was not defeat. He didn't go down, oh, I lost. Yeah, I died on the cross. He proclaimed victory that he won because many can be saved. You know, if you take Ephesians 4, 9, another reference, it says he also descended into the lower regions and put it together with Colossians 2, 15. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So I, it's like Christ went say, look, I didn't lose here. I mean, think about Satan's efforts to get Jesus. I mean, we study that in the book of Revelation, that throughout uh, the Bible from the Old Testament, he was trying to corrupt the race that the Messiah was, or, or the line, I should say, the race too, but the line of that the Messiah was supposed to come out of. Um, when Jesus was born, right, uh, Herod went killing all the babies at that time. There's, so there's a lot of trying to stop. And then when Jesus is walking this earth, there, there was a lot of demonic activity and things going on. And then, and then using the religious leaders, right, to, to capture him, to, to unjustly arrest him and turning over to the Romans to die on a cross. You'd think that Satan was happy, right? I just had a thought, perhaps when, when Jesus, after he died in the spirit, went to that prison, wherever that is, in the spirit, that perhaps maybe the demons thought, Hey, Satan won, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and he's there. Maybe they thought Satan would, would, would come with keys, but to their surprise, who shows up? It's Jesus who declares the victory. He won. He defeated sin and its consequences of death when he died on a cross. He defeated Satan and all of his plan. So, that's what I believe Peter's putting out here. His suffering is what defeated the enemy. I mean, isn't that great? His suffering now. We thought, well, maybe this is defeat, people would think, that this is bad, but he actually won. It's actually victory. And he defeated Satan's hold on people's lives that when you come to Christ, he cannot do that to you anymore. You're freed of your sin. Death no longer is the end. We have eternal life now. His suffering is what defeated the enemy. So understand that today, you guys. What Christ has done, no matter what the enemy may do, Satan, the demons, no matter how he oppresses you, attacks you, trying to keep you from moving forward in Christ so you can bring others to Christ, to keep you from, from coming church or being involved here, whatever those things that, that are, are going on around you, oppressing you, um, uh, trying to, to, to distract you with things or get you emotional about something, no matter what, 
the demon's enemies may try and influence you with. Christ defeated them. Christ has defeated them. He is victorious. So, so we fight, not for victory. Remember the saying is from victory because Christ already died and rose again from the dead. His suffering is what defeated the enemy. In 320 A.D., 40 Roman soldiers refused to offer sacrifice to the Roman emperor Licinius and renounced Jesus. They were stripped, they were flogged, they were then brought to this pond that was frozen over, uh, this ice pond, and with tubs of hot water on the sides, on the shore, to tempt them, they were thrown there, basically to freeze to death, to die there. They could, if, the, if they would just renounce Jesus, give that uh, pinch of incense to uh, Caesar, acknowledge him as God, they, and they could hop in that tub and they'll be free. Well, as day, the cold day turned into even more freezing night, they sang together hymns. And, and one of the things that they would say is 40 soldiers for Christ. 40 soldiers for Christ. But after a while, it got really cold. In the middle of the night, one of the soldiers broke rank. And he ran over and he hopped in the tub and he renounced Jesus. Yet, one guard was watching these guys and how they suffered and, and how they, their courage and, and the, the sincerity of their belief. He Seeing how they suffered, this one soldier took off his uniform and went in and joined the others and began to sing 40 soldiers for Christ. Peter's saying the same way your faith in your suffering, your, your courage, your endurance, no matter what, that, that you're going to stick to what God wants you to do, that you're not going to repay evil for, for, for evil, you're not going to revile, that you're going to stay committed in obedience to Christ. That you're going to do everything you can to fight hard and not give in. He's saying, look, you guys, you can defeat the, defeat, defeat the demons because Christ has already. You know, I think about Revelation chapter 12, if you guys remember when we studied that, when uh, there was that scene and it, it showed the tribulation saints, the believers who came to Christ after the rapture during the seven-year tribulation. And what the comment that was made for them in Revelation 12 and 11 is it said they conquered him. Who's that? The Antichrist and Satan. By what? The blood of the Lamb. By what? By the word of their testimony. Because they did not love uh, their lives even unto death. That's commitment. That's, that's standing strong even when the attacks come in Christ, in his strength, that, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you, God. It's not about what I want or how I feel or, or my suffering and pain, but it's about, you know what, Lord, you defeated the enemy, and no matter what he throws at me, I know that through you, I can. So why? Others can come to Jesus Christ. All right. So we see this victorious suffering of Jesus. The suffering brings you to God. His suffering defeated the enemy. And now number three, his suffering saves you from judgment. His suffering saves you from judgment. We go on here from verse 
um, 20, the second part, to and include 21 here in this section. So it says here in the middle of verse 20, While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, verse 21, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. Remember, we'll, we'll come into this section. Peter written, okay, you guys remember, you know, during the days of Noah, he wrote, right? When God's patience waited. Remember, God was patient here with the world. No, even though the world was super evil, right? Beyond wickedness, demons doing their thing. It was a heyday. All, all kinds of things are going on that the heart of man was corrupted and all that. God waited in patience. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about grace. It's talking about that God gave the people in the world a chance to repent of their sins because Noah stood there what? Preaching, right? He was preaching. Look, a flood's coming. I mean, there's never been a flood at that point. And says, Noah, judgment is coming. A flood is coming, you guys. And how many years, do you remember, did Noah preach? 120 years. 120 years. That's patience. That's God waiting. That's God's grace giving allowance for people to come to him and repent of their sins. 120 years Noah preached before the flood came. I'm sure people's like, yeah, it's not going to happen. Maybe some people listen at first, but then, oh, no, no, it's been 119 years. It's not happening. Forget you, right? And then Peter says, look, um, God's patience in that way, uh, the ark was prepared. And so there's this ark that saved, right, that was made not just for animals, but for people to be saved from the flood, which was the judgment for the sin. It was the judgment to come, this flood. So this ark was prepared. Noah built the ark. And then Peter says, well, in which, inside that ark, a few was only saved. That is, eight persons were brought safely through the water or the flood. Only eight people were saved. Can you, can, can you imagine talk, talking to Noah? Hey, Noah, um, yeah, you've been preaching for 120 years. How big's your church? Oh, eight people. <laughs> and they're my family. <laughs> right? I mean... Can you imagine that? But he was obedient to whatever God wanted him to do, and he was obedient to this, even if it was just his family. He kept preaching. I mean, I would have given up after 10 years and said, God, forget it. There's only my family coming. But he was obedient 120 years, knowing what was coming, knowing the heart of God that he wanted to save people. All right, so I like this. I, I, I like this, that Noah kept going. And it shows that the majority is not always right. Correct? Yeah? Yeah. Well, so Peter now takes all of this, and then in verse 21, he says, baptism. He's thinking about baptism. And he says, you know, baptism, well, it saves you. Now, let's stop for a moment. Wait, wait, what, what, wait, what, what are you saying here, Peter? Baptism, it, it, it now saves you? Well, from if you've been with me for a while, you understand that water baptism does not save you. Yeah, 
It, 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 Christ saves you. Ephesians 2, right, 8 and 9, we're saved by grace through faith. Uh, not of our own works, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. There's nothing about baptism in there, water baptism. Yeah. Water baptism really is an outward show of an inward work, right? Baptism is basically a public declaration of what has gone on on the inside. So, so, so what's Peter saying? Well, I want you to see a few key words here. He says in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this. Correspond meaning like it, it's, it's an analogy. It's a picture of this. He's not saying that, that baptism, um, necessarily water baptism saves you because our mind automatically goes to that because we're talking about water and flood, right? Then he, then he says, uh, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body. So he's saying, look, I'm not talking about water baptism here. Basically, he's saying that to a Jewish mind, Water baptism is a ritual, yeah, uh, yeah, a, a bath, basically, uh, that represents the cleansing from God. So, he said, look, I'm not talking about, like, water baptism. No, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, that God, w- that we will call out to God to, to clear our consciences, to, to remove our guilt, to, to forgive us of the wrongs that we have done uh, and then through the resurrection jesus christ talks about our new life in him all right so peter's clarifying look it's not about water baptism but it corresponds to what christ has done it's a picture it's a symbol of that and you know what he's really pointing to is what he said in verse 20 when he wrote while the ark was being prepared. He's talking about how Christ is the ark to protect us from the judgment. The ark was that 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 kept the eight souls safe, yeah, from the flood. Christ is who keeps us safe. The ark is a symbol of how we can get safely through the water or the judgment. So when he uses the word baptism, he's talking about how we are baptized in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is all Romans 6 stuff, that we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we rose with Christ. Christ. Romans 6 stuff, that we identify with Christ. When we come and receive Christ, we identify with him that we have died to our sin in Christ. That we're, the, our old person is buried. We're freed from the bondage of that old person. That's what Romans 6 talks about. And then we rose again into a new life with Christ. And that's why water baptism is a symbol of this going on. It's a public declaration of your identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So think of water baptism in that way. It's a declaration of your identification of your resurrection with Christ. So keep that in mind. So, so that's water baptism, not to confuse you, but the baptism here that Peter's talking about is we're baptized with Christ. We've been immersed or, or with Christ when he died buried, rose again. So believers who are in Christ are saved, think about it this way, from the flood of judgment. We pass through that. 
We're in the ark of Christ. Listen, if there's interpretations that talk about, well, the flood is water baptism and all that, but it doesn't work to me. I mean, if you think the, the flood water is baptism, it doesn't make sense because everybody who got baptized back then, what, died in judgment. So that's not what it is. And so through Christ's death, his resurrection, now we can become a new person. We can appeal to God. We can call out to God. God, cleanse our conscience. Free us from our guilt. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, that we're, that burden we're carrying. Forgive us of our sin. Clear our guilt. And with that, we have assurance, yeah, that we can be right with God. And through, we know that through this resurrection of Christ that we receive a new life in Jesus. That's what Peter's talking about here. I know it's, this is difficult too. I'm trying to make it as super clear as much as I can for you guys. So all in all, Christ's suffering, his suffering, is what saves you from judgment. What he went through, the death on, his, on the cross, all his suffering, everything, how he sacrificed his life for you, the atonement for sin, his suffering is what saves you from judgment. I read about this big fire that went through a farmer's land, and um, they, no one could do anything. It was out of control, burned everything up. The next day, he was walking around the field, and he found this, this, uh, the black field, he found this charred hen laying on the ground. He, he, he kicked it over, and to his surprise, from underneath came four little baby chicks. The hen had laid down on the chicks, sacrificed her life to save these baby chicks and not be burned from the fire. That is what Christ has done. That's the ark. That's what Peter is talking about here. His suffering is what saves you from judgment. So let's think about ourselves with what we are going through from the attacks, from the persecution, from the world turning. And I, we've been talking about that a lot. I know it's kind of interesting because um, we have uh, we're in, in Acts, we're studying Acts in, in um, Wednesday night and and. And we're in the middle of persecution when the apostles are. The first persecution was last Wednesday. And through these weeks, we've been, I've been slowly bringing this more and more in in this passage. And we live in a world where the society is changing. The values and morals of what's right and wrong is just being turned upside down to what we believe and hold to and what the Bible says. So we're going to be persecuted if not already. If not already you are. So your suffering, your witness, and someone coming to Christ, it can save someone from judgment. If you bring them to Christ and they find that that can be their ark of what's to come. Many of us, we've been talking, you know, one-on-one or so, and we've been talking about, wow, it sure seems like the end times here. Sure, things are set up. The stage is set in the Middle East. Uh, uh, things are ready. And any time the rapture could happen, we go home to heaven with the Lord. Uh, the attack, Ezek- the prophecies of attack, uh, Ezekiel, you know, 38, um, 39 there, um, where uh, Russia and Arab nations come attack Israel, but God saves them. Then it ushers in the seven years of tribulation. That's the seven, last seven years of this world as we know it. Because at the end of that, Christ is going to come, millennium, everything. So we could be coming right up 
to the end here. But we want to do what we can to bring Christ to those that they will be saved from the judgment to come. It's not going to be a fun time. It's God's wrath being poured upon this world during the tribulation. It's not going to be fun. We want to be witnesses. And even though we're suffering, we want how we suffer, how we persevere, how we shine the light, even in the middle of that, to bring others to Christ. All right, so the victorious suffering of Jesus, we have number one, his suffering brings you to God. Number two, his suffering defeated the enemy. Number three, his suffering saves you from judgment. Number four, our last uh, heading and thing we're going to see is that his suffering leads to glory. His suffering leads to glory. And this is verse 22. Take a look here. It says, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. So lastly now, Peter says, yeah, okay, his spirit went down, proclaimed everything, but you know what? He's ascended now. He's not down there anymore. He's not near at that prisoner prison place, but he's ascended now. He, he, he's in heaven where at the right hand of God. And when, when you read in a Bible about Christ being at the right hand of God, it's a position of honor. It speaks of a place of honor, of authority, and of power. And Jesus spoke about that, and the Gospels talk about that Jesus would be set in that authority that he would be given that seat to judge. And so here's Christ. He's now over everything. That's why he says over angels, holy or, or fallen angels, over authorities and powers, every power, every government, every person, anything. He is definitely the Lord, the King, and all are subjected or all submit to Jesus. So basically, right now, Jesus reigns in glory, and now it shows us, you know what? He led the way for us to get the glory. We're going to rule and reign with him. So his suffering is what leads you to glory. That's the last thing, really. He's in glory now. Everything he went through, and now it's going to lead us to that glory, to heaven, to be with him, to live with him, to during the millennium rule and reign with him, as scripture tells us. I like something that, that helps us to understand that, you know, that's the ultimate glory that's going to happen. And that's the victory we're headed to, no matter what you're going through. And I like this. J. Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary to China, said this. We are supernatural people born again by a supernatural birth. We wage a supernatural fight and are taught by a supernatural teacher. We are led by a supernatural captain, and because of that, we are assured of victory. Amen? Because Jesus is our king, because he is in that position of authority, because he is Lord, because he has defeated Satan, the demons. He has conquered sin and death, and he's sitting on the throne reigning. So will we. We are his children. We are his people. We belong to him. And so you are victorious in your life. So no matter what it looks like, no matter what you're going through, understand that you are victorious, you guys. Well, my devotions this morning was really touched by something a, um, um, uh, I think Tozer talked about. And um, uh, just the gist that was really hitting me was that, um, you know, 
uh, you're, when God brings you to a place, and this is like spiritual maturity, I believe, um, when he said something like when he disciplines you to bring you to a place that uh, s- you understand that success is not happiness. I thought that was really good. It hit my heart like, oh, we have our ideas what success is, what's, what's supposed to be, or blessing, and all of that. But when we understand that our happiness, our fulfillment is, is not in, oh, everything's going good, you know, or, or things are coming together. But no, our happiness is based in our obedience to God that we're fulfilling what he wants us to do. That's where happiness lays. Noah preached, only eight people really were saved. He was all right out of everybody in the world. That's happiness, you guys. So his suffering leads us to this glory that sometimes we will go through that suffering, but that doesn't mean everything's bad, that you're bad, that you've done something wrong. It could be, but if you suffer for doing good, hey, it's God's will. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Even when you're brought to the limit, to the end of your rope, to a place where you just want to give up, understand that the suffering for Jesus will ultimately lead to glory, right? What what you suffer this present time, what does the Bible say? It's just for a moment, right? It's temporary. And compared to eternity in heaven, it's nothing. And compared to what we're going to be living in, in glory, the things of this earth is going to be nothing, even the best of this world. So you see, what looked like defeat for Jesus was really a win. It was a win. His suffering brought victory over sin, death, and Satan. And we follow that, you guys. We're following his example. We follow Jesus in suffering. And you know what that means? We get the win too. We get the win too. Isn't that great to know? Oh, that just fires me up. That makes me want to just keep trying and keep going. No matter what. No matter how I'm buffeted with storms and the wind knocks me over. I want to get up still. I want to keep going. Because I know in the end is that win is that glory because that's what Jesus did. It looked like he got defeated, but he won. And we're following after Jesus for that win too. I'll close with this. And, and there's an a old book. Um, um, I, I have a, this old book. I was going to bring it. It's, it's in a box somewhere. But um, it's about, um, it's called uh, The Peace Child. And it's about Don Richardson and his family his wife, Carol, and their seven-month-year-old baby, they went to New Guinea to reach the Sawi tribes for Jesus, basically. In 1962, they went over there. Can you, I couldn't imagine this young couple, they're in their 20s with the seven-month-year-old baby, going to New Guinea, basically to this cannibal island. And, 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 and on top of that, this, these tribes there, they were, you know, headhunters, but... They exalted evil. They were into cheating and being treacherous and manipulating. And there's no morals, no concept of justice or, or anything like that. When they share, this is how bad it was. When they shared the story of Jesus, you know, from the Gospels and how he died on the cross and all that. And, and you know what? 
they didn't they weren't excited about Jesus. They were excited about Judas. How he betrayed Jesus. That that was their hero. The missionaries there, they served, they toiled, they worked. They saw a lot of warring, you can imagine, because of that. These two tribes were fighting each other, killing each other, murdering each other. There's a lot of death. And after three years of toil in the jungle, uh, the near death of their baby son, and going through 14 civil wars, they're caught in the middle of it. cannibalism, all of that, just evil, evil. The Richardson were ready to leave. But the tribes pleaded with them not to because they were actually bringing in uh, medical help and helping them, you know, in their health. So when they were talking about leaving, the tribes said, no, don't, don't go, go. The tribes, they took a step. The chiefs from the two tribes that were really uh, living around them promised to make peace. They lined up, they got the whole tribe lined up facing each other, and then suddenly one man grabbed his newborn son, ran over to the chief of the other tribe and gave him the baby. And um, what it was, was it was a, a, a step to say, look, as long as you take care of our baby from our tribe, we will keep the peace. Then someone from the other tribe grabbed the newborn baby, ran over to the, the, the first tribe's uh, chief and did the same. And so they call that the peace child. But that was it. That turned a light on for Richardson. And he used that analogy to share how God sent Jesus to bring a perfect peace child for us that we can be saved. So not too long after that, a uh, um, native there, Yodai, gave his life to Jesus, who was the first of thousands and I was reading uh, yesterday, there's still uh, uh, thousands of Christians there in New Guinea. See, I, I was thinking about how they, this young couple could even go there. I mean, that's brave enough, but God called them. But after three years of toiling and nothing going on, nothing happening, how they are ready to leave, and there's so much evil, and so much they were suffering and going under. So I'm sure... No, you know, the attacks and stuff are not even written down of what they went through because, you know, certainly demons and demonic activity and Satan was doing stuff on that island, right? I mean, they're so evil. But they kept going. Evil wants to defeat you as believers. But suffering shouldn't stop us. For we got to know, as it was with Jesus, it will only bring a win if we keep going. Keep going. And so, that's what we learn here in the victorious suffering of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word, God, and for speaking to our hearts. And I don't know what people are going through right now. I don't know people in this room or whoever's connected online. God, I, I, I pray that you would encourage us right now by your Holy Spirit to take these things, that the, the, the depth of your word, what Peter's putting across to us, Lord, still speaking, God. You're still speaking through your word right now to us to, 
to hold on, to stay committed, to don't let events, oppressions, attacks, or persecutions, or, or situations, or circumstances that seem to come up right when we make a commitment to do something for you, Lord, to not let that hinder us from fulfilling your call, hinder us from being obedient to what you want us to do. Lord, I want to be as what Peter's writing about. I want to keep going, Lord, even in the midst of discouragement, even starting to feel depressed. God, I don't want to be stopped by that, but I want to continue on to what you've called me to do. And so I pray for everyone here and everyone connected online that you would help them in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.